You all know me. I'm not just a cop. I'm a father. I'm a son. And above all, I'm from Boston. Boston accent. The politician with the upscale Kennedy-type Boston accent. I am the mayor of Boston, and I was elected to clean up this town, but that doesn't mean I'm not gonna get my hands dirty. The townie who says the word bro in every sentence. Bro, don't tell me to chill out, because I'm cranked up, bro. And I know where you live, bro. And one actor who decided at the last minute not to do a Boston accent at all. I'm gonna go park the car in Harvard Yard. Hello, divers. Welcome back to the Deep Dive Podcast, where each episode we strive to find something Lord, anything to watch on streaming media. I'm Tom Feeney, writer for Wang's Shop Movie Magazine, and with me, as always, is my co-host, the magnificent Manda. Hello, Manda. Hello. I love that Seth Meyers skit. That is so funny. Yeah, it's awesome. And there's one point where he brings, like, he pretends to be Benedict Cumberbatch, who's pretending to be an American. Yes, oh, so that's fun. right. That's right. Uh, so we are back. We took a little spring break for a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it, it seems as though, you know, spring is finally kind of stabilized a little bit, which is nice. Um, you know, being, being here in New England where we are, you never know one day from the next, if it's going to snow or, you know, be, I mean, uh, or t-shirt and shorts weather. Uh, but I think it's, I th- you know, stabilizing a bit. Oh, I think it was last week that, I think it was on a Tuesday we had eight degree weather. And then on a Friday it was snowing, like yeah. slushy. We had like three inches of snow. It sounds about right. Mm. <laughs> Awful. Awful. But I think we're, I think we're, we've turned a corner. I hope. I hope. Mm. So, but now uh, it's been a while since we have uh, discussed anything uh, like Marvel television related. So, um, mm. so last week there was the finale of uh, what I guess was called the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but is now called. <laughs> Captain America and the Winter Soldier, which I don't think is fair, simply because uh, Bucky is not the Winter Soldier anymore. Right. And so it should just be Captain America and Bucky, like it was always meant to be. Like, I get why we're going with Captain America. And honestly, those folks who are getting very upset about it, it, I think it's just time to let it go and move on. But the whole Winter Soldier thing just, yeah, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me either. I would even be happy with Captain America and the White Wolf. Something like that, you know? I mean, yeah. not Winter Soldier. That's not who he is anymore. He's made amends, cleaned up his act, you know? It's like, okay, but it's time to, I agree, move on. But what a great show it was. Mm. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, it was great seeing the surprise cameo from uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, mm-hmm. so, and now she's, uh, she's going to be, I think, heavily involved in the MCU from this point forward. Um, nice. there, there are rumors that she appears in the Black Widow movie. So we'll have to see about that, what kind of connection she may have there. And of course, not going away is the ex Captain America, uh, <laughs> John Walker, who is now, uh, known as the U.S. agent. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, how he returns as well. Right. Because he is a straight up psycho. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is the, you know, I think it's a it's a good transition from, uh, you know, the ending of season two of The Mandalorian and, and uh, you know, WandaVision. We needed something to kind of, in the in, the, in the between, I'm not saying it's like super amazing, to be fair. I'm like not. I'm not really hardcore into it, but it did take me like two or three episodes of WandaVision to kind of really get mm-hmm. into it. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But I'm just really excited for all the stuff that's coming up with Disney Plus. And I mean, not just the MCU. There's so much coming up. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this, this is a good tide over. And, and so far, it's not too, too bad. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm digging it. So it's good. Yeah. So uh, also, I believe we... Um, 
I think I sent this to you. Um, that that uh, statistic about uh, that that there are very few like actual active podcasts right now. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. There's there's like, you know, it's like <clears throat> one thing that you know it, it's been on the internet for years, or, or what are called ghost sites that are websites that have been abandoned, but for some reason are still there. Uh, and yeah. have never been like discontinued or removed. So, you know, something from like 1998 that's just still lurking there, kind of like, uh, you know, unloved and <laughs> just sort of an orphan website. Now the same thing is happening with podcasts. People, you know, are doing, are doing a few and then abandoning it or just giving, you know, giving up on it or not doing it anymore. And so there's all these ghost podcasts, uh, you know, streaming around which is kind of weird if you think about it it's like you know uh driving downtown and seeing all the abandoned stores <laughs> that are like uh -oh, oh god what happened here uh <laughs> yeah so it's kind of interesting that there's that there's actually a very small percentage of podcasts that are uh, still active and have like over a certain number of episodes so i thought that was kind of interesting and makes me feel better about myself um not to mention the fact that recently we just uh, ranked number five uh, in the film and review category in, you ready for this, South Korea. Really? We charted, yeah. We charted uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, number five. It's pretty cool. Okay. Now, we probably Unexpected. fell off that chart, but, you know, we were there for a little bit. <laughs> Still, it's something to be proud of. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have a little bit of validation. You know, it's not much, but it's a little bit of validation. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> we'll take it and run with it. Darn Trust right. Us. All right. So now, <laughs> as we had mentioned previously, you know, um, this podcast originates from the uh, untamed wilds of New England. Mm. Uh, now, so the way I have it figured out here, this is the way I think of it. Like Massachusetts is like the dad of New England. It's like New England's dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, New Hampshire is the is the aunt who dresses too young for her age and gets drunk at outdoor music festivals. Um, Vermont is the crazy uncle who you think might be a serial killer. And uh, mm -hmm. Connecticut is your snobby cousin who thinks he's better than everybody else. And mm -hmm. Rhode Island is the nephew they keep locked in the basement. So that's how I kind of see it. I don't know, you know, you 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 may differ on your opinions, but that's just how I feel. New England sort of like checks out. I think you're dead on or right on with the Connecticut one for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always feel like when I drive through Connecticut I'm underdressed. I don't know why, but it's just weird. Wait, what did you say Maine was? Oh, I didn't actually get to Maine because frankly, Maine scares me, uh <laughs> and I don't want to I don't want to piss off Maine. Well, you know what they call them? They call them maniacs. Yeah, that's exactly. That's I think that's actually where the word comes from. But don't quote me on that. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, because of like, all this, yeah, you know, you know, I was just say, you know, it. That's a perfect description of New England for sure. But because yeah. of, because of that, there's a theme going on, I think people can can register by now. Yes. So it seems fitting, I think, that you and I choose some uh, interesting movies actually set. In this remote wilderness uh, tundra here. Oh dear, did you hear that? <laughs> that was a little scary. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure, why not? All right, go for it. All right, so you know how you kind of you kind of split up the, the country, I think, into three main parts, right? Mm -hmm. um, you've got, on one side, there's just California. There's nothing else but California and Hollywood. Yeah, it's his own In thing. the middle... Exactly. In the middle, you've got tornadoes, right? Yes. And then on the East Coast, the only part of the East Coast that really exists is New England. <laughs> so okay. that's kind of how I think. I, well, I think that's how like, the rest of the country kind of like defines certain areas of, of the of the states. Because I mean, when you think of the East Coast, like you automatically think, "Oh, cool, South Carolina." No, you think of like Boston and our foliage and all that fun stuff, right? Yeah, or, or you know, yeah. New York. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, that, that, that's, a, that's a point. That's subjective. But in any case, um, what I love specifically about uh, New England is all of our like all of our lore, right? All of our our tall tales, oh, yeah. our quote fish tales. Mm -hmm. um, and what's really great is that we have 
we have one that just no matter how many years go by and no many no matter how many uh, I guess interpretations or even um, films that are made about this, it's still always the exact same thing. And that is the story of Moby Dick. Ah, interesting. Yes. So for those who are unaware, Moby Dick is, well, basically Herman Melville, right? This guy, he wrote a book about uh, the whale ship Essex. So a ship that was meant for whaling, i.e. killing whales, not fun times, but, you know, like harvesting their blubber for oil and whatnot, which, which was a big commercial entity way back when. So, you know, sort of the inception of New England to maybe like 1800s kind of time um, uh, until we started hunting things to extinction, which unfortunately as humans we typically do. Mm. But Herman, Herman Melville, the author, wrote a book about the whale ship Essex who encountered what is supposedly a very large white sperm whale, otherwise known as Moby Dick, mm-hmm. right? Given the name Moby Dick. Now, um, the film that I'm specifically referencing is the 1930 version. I think it was one of the first, if not the first, uh, adaptation of this book, because this book came out, I think, in the 1850s or so. Um, and, of course, the movies didn't take too, too long to come after that, but 1930 seems quite early, so I imagine it's one of the first. Um, in which the, the, the story is very minimal, right? Like, so this, I feel like with older versions, especially older black and white versions of stories, they do try to keep everything as basic as they can, because keep in mind, this is a silent movie, right? So, like, 1930s, we didn't necessarily have too many, uh, what do they call them? Talkies? Yeah, they started calling them talkies. Talkies, yeah. So, this is, this is a black and white cast. They're on a ship. They're, you have to imagine everything around you, like how the waves sound, how the ocean sounds. It's crazy, but uh, essentially, after the whaleboat leaves New Bedford, New Bedford is a section uh, on the coast of um, southern Massachusetts, uh, which is, I mean, insanely famous for uh, its whaling ships and fisheries and all that fun stuff, uh, leaves Captain Ahab, who is not necessarily the nicest of guys, Mm -hmm. uh, they cook. They come into conflict with Moby Dick. He loses his leg, which then becomes a typical stereotypical like pirate wooden leg thing. Uh, and and people don't believe him at first, right? Because this is a giant white whale. Nobody believes him. But then you know, it, it, people keep saying, "Oh, we 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 sighted him off the coast," and uh, you know, it, it became this like major. I have to go find this whale, which I think in turn was probably like. The, the connotation behind Jaws, but we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, I, I, I don't want to spoil it, I guess, but I mean, the, the book has been out for like over 150 years. Basically, they, they kill him, right? So they get Moby Dick, they, they harpoon him. Uh, and I feel as though, like, it's rather gross to say this, but the idea here is that they that man conquered the wild sea, right? Like this, the sea is a wild untamable uh, creature of its own. You know how like most of the times they give this, the ocean kind of like this female personification. Mm-hmm. Like she's, yeah, like she's, she's unruly, un- temperamental, anything like that. And I guess that gives a lot to because you're not on, on uh, flat land, you can't control it. But basically this is a story of men overcoming uh, this giant uh, beast, this demon type thing. Uh, and so the whole story, the whole story of Moby Dick really is uh, Herman Melville exploring like stories and and sea fair tales that he, that he heard from you know uh, sailors and whatnot. Because I think it's pretty obvious that sailors and fishery type people they always have their like skepticisms and superstitions and you know, everything that plays into decisions that they make. Like, even now, I, I'll watch, like, Deadliest Catch, and they'll talk about some superstition that they, they can't leave on a Tuesday or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but he put that all together in, a, like, an, an amalgamation of, of those stories, and it became Moby Dick. Moby Dick is probably one of the famous, the most famous uh, stories to come out of New England itself. I mean, I think I can't really uh, think of another one other than maybe the Scarlet Letter that is so uh, 
iconically New England. Um, but this one, the 1930 film, is pretty pretty cool because, like I said, it's in black and white, and you have to do a lot of imagining. You have to do a lot of, uh, like, foreshadowing in it because not only is it black and white, you can't hear anything. They're not speaking. You have to imagine what they're saying. <laughs> uh, you know, all this fun stuff. Um but it it's lovely. I think it's wonderful, and I I know that it doesn't necessarily get the the highest of of uh, like you know scores or whatnot. Yeah. In fact, I IMDb doesn't actually have a score for this particular one. Wow. I imagine because it's so old. Yeah. Um. But I did find I found on um certain like other I don't want to say not reputable, but things that we don't typically count towards, right, so like right. a list movies and uh, moviereviewers dot com, that kind of thing. A lot of people just they don't get it, and I think that's a shame because I think black and white films, as I said before, offer a very special experience for the audience. So if you can get your hands on the nineteen thirty uh, version, which I found on YouTube in its entirety. Uh, or maybe missing a few minutes for copyright issues, I would say go ahead and watch it. It's not very long at all. It's only like, I think it's an hour and 10 minutes, something like that. Mm. It's yeah. yeah, it's totally worth walking, watching. And it turns out that it was a pretty big box office hit way back in the 1930s, bringing in over half a million dollars, which is a lot of money in that time. Wow. Although it, it didn't necessarily get the greatest of... Uh, responses from critics who who called it a quote poorly conceived and unfaithful version uh wow. in which ahab slays the white whale at the end and goes home to his true love which we know is not accurate but you know i'd say just watch it yeah, it's got john absolutely. barrymore in it yeah it's not Very bad cool. it's john barrymore yeah places like that nice. so that's my first one uh like truly new england thank yes. you very cool very cool so did you know uh, that there were several sequels to, to Moby Dick made into movies. Did you know this? Well, but I know that there are different adaptations, like one in the 1950s, I believe. And there was one, some silly one in 2010, I think, came out. But I didn't know if they were uh, sequels or more like adaptations. Well, I actually uh, have the titles of some of the sequels right here. Um, let's see. We've got uh, Moby Dick 2, Too Many Dicks. Uh <laughs> There's uh, Moby Dick 3, Dick Harder. Um, oh, no. There's uh, Moby Dick 4, The Dickening. And uh, the last one, they really went off the rails, Detective Moby. I don't, you know, that one was just a cash grab, I think. But, you know, what are you going to do? I'm going to go ahead and say that you found these on a site that we wouldn't typically recommend to our listeners. <laughs> uh, no, I just made those up. Anyway. Uh, oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Even worse, I just your... made them up. Yeah, so. Ugh. All right. We so should copyright those. We should, actually. Ooh, was a thought. <laughs> uh, so, uh, for my pick, way, 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 way back, although not as far back as your pick went, in the early 1960s, and this is before even I was born, there was a, a string of murders occurring in the Boston area. 13 Ooh. women were killed in a two-year span by a man named Albert DeSalvo. Now, the media, as they like to do, gave him uh, a the strangler, the Boston Strangler. They gave him a nick nickname. Yeah. And so my oh. my pick is the 1968 film called The Boston Strangler. This is the story of the self-confessed Boston Strangler based on Gerald Frank's startling bestseller. It has been filmed where the actual happenings made shocking headlines around the world. I want you to coordinate the investigations for the Commonwealth. Set up a strangler bureau. I'm not even remotely qualified for this kind of thing. You want the stranglings to go on? That's not fair. As the suspense builds to an incredible crescendo, you realize that you are involved in one of the most remarkable screen experiences of our time. You will know all there is to know about the Boston Strangler. Why did so many women open their doors willingly? The answers are not what you expected. So once again, I picked something on the lighter side. Uh, now, I'm not going to go into the gory details of the murders themselves because that's not why I picked this movie. For me, it's about the performances in the film and the direction of the film. Uh, and it's kind of half uh, police procedural as, and then half uh, of kind of looking into the mind of the killer himself. Uh, now, DeSalvo is played by veteran actor Tony Curtis. 
And hmm. uh, he's actually the father of Jamie Lee Curtis. So, oh. that, yeah. And in this film, he's really going against the usual type of roles he had, which were kind of like more the handsome leading man type, doing light comedy. Uh, he was in movies like Some Like It Hot uh, with Jack Lemmon and then Operation Petticoat and all those kind of movies. So he was pretty much known for being a leading man, you know, and a comedian. <clears throat> uh, mm -hmm. But in this film, Tony Curtis plays DeSalvo like an unhinged man with multiple personalities, each one unaware of the other's existence. And these personalities come out uh, under this intense interrogation by two detectives uh, played brilliantly by two great actors, Henry Fonda and uh, George Kennedy, who you might remember from the Naked Gun movies. Um, he was uh, Leslie Nielsen's partner in the Naked Gun movies. Uh, so... After three murders occur with the same uh, modus operandi, um, Henry Fonda's character uh, comes in. He is a civil lawyer who is assigned against his wishes to head a task force to track down this serial killer. And they're having the, they're having the toughest time with it. They, they're getting really, really frustrated with their lack of progress. Uh, there are several leads that absolutely go nowhere. And the strangest thing about these murders to the investigators is that this killer was allowed in their homes by the by the female victims. There was no there was no breaking and entering, no forced entry, but there was also no connection between the victims and the killer. And this really flummoxed the investigators. Now, uh, Henry Fonda's character. Sort of, he's he's got to investigate every single lead because you know they've they've got nothing. So everything, even you know, even things that seem like they may not pan out, he's got to investigate thoroughly because you know he's just he's got nothing. Um, mm -hmm. He they even uh, they even consulted a psychic, even though back in the '60s that was considered absolutely bonkers. Then nobody would be ah, a psychic. What are you kidding me? Nowadays, you know, you see it all the time in movies and TV shows. You know, oh, we got to get the psychic to help us out. But back then, you know, that's how desperate they were. And in another kind of sign of the times in the 60s, uh, one of the suspects that they have is, you know, is a gay man. Because, hey, in the 1960s, if you were gay and there were any sexually related crimes happening nearby, you were automatically a suspect. And which huh. is, yeah, because that and they treated they treated that character terribly. Because they figure because he's gay, he must be some kind of deviant that's, uh, that's you know, make, that's killing women. So, you know, right. go figure. Now, it's not until about halfway through the film that we actually meet the real killer. And from that point on, the, the movie kind of changes its tone and becomes this really, really intense thriller. And the last 20 minutes of it are just, a, a, you know, an acting class, really, as... DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler, faces uh, an intense interrogation from Henry Fonda's character. And watching them play off each other is amazing. And it's just, for two people in a room just talking to each other, it is such an intense scene. It's wonderful. It really is. It's a, just a great, great uh, performance from both. Uh, now, as I said earlier, the direction is also excellent. And the director for this movie is, uh, was a man named Richard Flesher. And his, you know, he used uh, the camera in a very claustrophobic way uh, and a lot of close-ups. And he also used multiple, like, split screens to show different perspectives simultaneously of what, what was going on with the killer and the investigation and everything like that. So it's a really, it was a unique uh, way of telling a story back then. Nowadays, it's not as, you know, as unusual. But then that was a, it was a big deal, him going... Uh, going with that style. And uh, Flesher, if you don't know the name, uh, he had a real up-and-down directing career. Um, he directed Fantastic Voyage, Soylent Green, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, mm. But he also made some real stink burgers, like uh, Amityville 3D, and uh, a movie we talked about not long ago, Million Dollar Mystery. Remember that one with oh. the, the contest? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and quite possibly his worst film, 
uh, is called The Jazz Singer, which was a remake of the classic, but this one starred Neil Diamond in his first and thankfully last leading role. Yeah. Mm-mm. Cracklin' Rosie does not know how to act. So, yeah, there you go with that. But this is a great movie. Uh, as far as the scores go, Boston Strangler gets a 7.1 out of 10 on the Internet Movie Database and a really, really impressive 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I personally give it four out of five lobster rolls. Um, so nice. I, I know, right? That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good score. So you can find the Boston Strangler. Uh, you can rent it for $3.99 on uh, iTunes, Amazon Prime Video, Vudu, and YouTube. So if you get the chance and you're looking for something really interesting, that's a little bit of a throwback, The Boston Strangler. Really, really good movie. Interesting. Yeah. Very good. I mean, so unlike you to go with a you know a mass murder or a serial killer movie. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It's so against type. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I don't like lobster rolls. I haven't had one, but just looking at them makes me feel like not so great. But I will tell you, the best fish and chips I ever had in the states, at least, uh, was in a little place called the Lobster Pool in Rockport, Massachusetts, yeah. right yeah. on the water. They catch it right in front of you. They cook it. It's it's lovely. So you know, I, I'm because, glad you qualified that by saying in the states because you don't want to offend your husband. <laughs> well, the truth is, I have had really nice fish and chips in England. I truly have. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I've had them in like the traditional wrapped newspaper, which really freaked me out because I thought I was going to get sick from the ink. No. From the ink. <laughs> no. Uh, and then I've had it presented to me on a very fancy plate uh, with mushy peas in a pub. Yeah. So, yeah, so I've, I've had it. I've had it in uh, different places. But I will tell you, if not for nothing else, we have some good food in New England. Oh, I think we we're do. known for having some really good oh, yeah. food. Like this afternoon, I had beach pizza for oh, lunch. Oh, beach it was pizza. Lovely. Where'd you get it? Uh, Tripoli's, of, of course. Of course. That's the best. <laughs> like, I drove down on my lunch, got Tripoli's, rushed back up here, had to eat my pizza on the way, but it was so worth it. They also have really good cannoli. I'll tell you that right oh. now. Cannoli's oh, good. Bakery. Gotta get the cannoli. Oh. You know what I mean? Oh get my the god! Cannoli. I'm so sad that they've uh, they postponed the festival last year, obviously the Italian festival because of COVID. Mm -hmm. This year, it's looking like they're probably going to do the same. Mm -hmm. um, but you will see. But yeah, it's it, yeah. Anyways, if you haven't got it yet, listeners, we want you to come to New England. You need to experience the the true pleasure and wonderment that is being in New England. Uh, and I would say there are three things you have to do. You have to try beach pizza at a beach, mm -hmm. either Hampton, Salisbury, or Crane. Yep. Uh, you have to eat some sort of fishy substance like a fish sandwich, you know, fish and chips, lobster, any of that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to visit us in the fall so you can see our foliage and you can come to Salem, Massachusetts. Absolutely. It's just three things you have to do. Three things you have to do. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And then go to New Hampshire for uh, tax-free shopping. Tax-free, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly, it's just two miles over the border, and you can get, like, so much cheaper. But, wink, you know, whatever. Yeah. Wink, wink. Um, all right. So my second and last film before my honorable mentions is a little bit of a, of a strain, right? Or because it doesn't necessarily take place in New England, but it involves Massachusetts, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it involves basically the, the area of the East Coast or the northeast of the country that is very uh, infamous for being old, for being colonial, for being the start of the nation, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. My film is 1989's Glory. For the men of the 54th, it was time to make history. Someday they're going to let the 54th get into it. For the sergeant. Time's coming when we're going to have to ante up and kick in like men. It was time to follow his destiny. For a rebellious young soldier. I ain't fighting this war for you, sir. It was time to reach for glory. Denzel Washington, Golden Globe winner. Come on! Morgan Freeman, Glory. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. Starring Matthew Broderick and uh, Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman, Carrie Hughes. Oh, love Carrie Hughes. If you haven't seen Princess and the Bride, I just, there's no help for you. As you wish. <laughs> but um, this one in particular is a film 
uh, regarding the 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment, which was made up of all um, uh, previously enslaved but now free African Americans. Um, and first of all, if Denzel is in this plus Morgan Freeman, you know it has to be good, oh, right? Yeah. Just because Denzel, okay, it's all you need to say. Yeah, Denzel. but also Morgan Freeman, Catherine Broderick, and hey, whatever. But um, oh. so, <laughs> Ferris Bueller, so this, come on. I've never seen Ferris Bueller. Oh my and God, you're canceled. I've, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're can't. I'm at the. I'm the cancel concert. No, but I'm telling you, I haven't seen it, and I think I haven't seen it because people told me I have to see it, uh, and I'm one of those stubborn people that just yeah, I'll watch it. And knowing me, I'll watch it some random day on a, on a TV station. I'll be like, oh, why haven't seen this sooner? But whatever. Um, so during the Civil War, the American Civil War, I should say. Um, as you know, it was, or hopefully as you know, it was really pitting the North or the Union Army, uh, who did not believe in slavery, although they didn't necessarily have the greatest working conditions for either white or black people, especially if you were mm. poor, um, and who were very industrialized, versus the South or the Confederate Army, who still hung on to their slave labor, who were major manufacturers of uh, cotton exports, tobacco exports, uh, things that were becoming increasingly mass-produced in other places of the country, specifically like Ohio, for example, which was part of the Union. Um, and this movie kind of takes place all around, or sort of around this major battle, as it were, um, down in, uh, I believe it was South Carolina, I believe, uh, basically the Battle of Fort Wagner. Um so, quick little breakdown. You have to watch it. It's a very long movie. I think it's like two and a half hours long, mm, or two yeah. hours long. Um, this is around the time President uh, Abraham Lincoln has uh, given out the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation, right? The Confederacy is like, no, we don't want you as a president, so we're not going to at all accept you. If you are a black man and you are a soldier, you will be returned to slavery. Um, if you are a black soldier in a union uh, uniform, they're just gonna they're gonna smoke you out. They're gonna end you right there, right? Um, so the men who are promised initially to fight for the South, who could possibly gain their freedom, were like, "Yeah, we're not doing that." A lot of them go AWOL. Um, Denzel Washington's character actually uh, does go AWOL. He's he's a private in the the regiment here, mm-hmm. um, and it's through. There are people like Matthew Broderick's character, who he's Robert Goldshaw. He's actually, by the way, this is based on on true story and mm-hmm. real people. Um, and it's just about how I want to put this as, as easily as I can, but it how the suffering and the um, racism and the overall struggle, even within a Massachusetts regiment, you know, part of the, quote, union, part mm-hmm. of the free peoples, had to face so many setbacks, and yet they they really emerged as, as heroes of this uh, particular uh, battle, mm. as it were. Um, so I, I love this movie for a couple of different reasons. One, I love – I'm a history major, and I love his, historical movies. I love when they're, they're – really tied to events, although the, I understand that there has to be some creative license, but when they when they get a lot of it right, that's when I kind of go in for the for the, you know, the hardcore ad, admiration of it. Um, but also, I don't know any movie that has music from James Horner that I don't like. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> James Horner is probably one, he's right up there next to I mean, I, I I can't even think of the guy's name, the German guy. I can't even think of his name. Robert Zegwiger? Ziegler? Hmm. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of... He did the Gladiator soundtrack, too. James, yeah. Um, um, yeah I you don't remember. try to say, right? Hans Zimmer. Is that it? Hans Zimmer! Yeah. There you go. In any case, um, so this movie is heavy. It's got lots of bloody, you know, battles in it. Um, it... it it shows just the discrepancies and the disparity between a black and a white soldier, especially a black soldier in the Union Army. Um, it's kind of like saying, hey, 
don't think that everything was really great for African Americans just because they were in the in the North. They still faced right. oh yeah so many uh, hardships and difficulty. There was still so much prejudice even in the North where they claimed to be quote tolerant sure. uh, tolerance yeah you know and so it exposes I should say um, a lot of the the just the in the, just the not fairness, right? And then the and inadequacies and the, the two-for-one scenarios mm-hmm. and just just not a great time. But like I said, they emerge heroes of this battle and Denzel Washington is great in it. Uh, Morgan Freeman is wonderful in it. Um, it actually gets really highly rated. Uh, I think on IMDb it gives a 7.8, right? And that's got like 150,000 votes. Uh, Metacritic is a 78. Rotten Tomatoes Gives it a 93 pressure meter. Yeah. So that's the tomato meter itself. And then a 93 from the audience score. So people love this movie. And I think it has a lot to do with because we're coming off the era of, um, you know, Dances with Wolves and and all these long, uh, Last of the Mohicans, these long epic dramas, right, that have to deal with historical context. People, I think there's a time and a place where people just love these things. And you'll notice, like, when movies come out of that drama, you know, shortly thereafter, we've got a couple in a row that are like, oh, cool, this is another historical drama. Because, you know, movies happen in waves, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah. pe- people like what they like. And so movie theaters and, and production companies and directors will try and go after what is the is hot right now. And in that case, um, around this time, the historical drama was huge. Um, but the, the, it's funny because I wasn't actually planning on uh, doing this one, but I mentioned to you earlier before we started the podcast that I had uh, received a, a trial subscription of Stars. Yeah, like for whatever reason they just upped it, and I was like, okay, well I'm not going to complain. Um, <laughs> and it's on Stars, and I was like, you know, I'll give it another chance. I'll watch it. I watched this in high school years ago, and I don't want to say how many. Um, but it, it's it's a really good film, and I and I encourage anybody to watch it and to watch it with an open mind, right? Um, you can watch it right now for free on Stars. If you have a subscription, you can rent it on Amazon, Voodoo, Google, the usual places for around the usual same two or three bucks. Um, if you can find it for purchase, I would say go right ahead and do it. Like, I think it's worth having in your arsenal. It's like, for me, it's next to, like I said, Dance with Wolves, and it's in the category of like long movies that I can get lost in, like Brave nice. Yeah, yeah. Very you know, cool. you know what I mean? Yeah. I like Anyways, it. I'd say check it out. It's a good movie. And it's my second pick before I have uh, some honorable mentions. Nice, nice. You know, and it's a really good thing nobody still holds on to those Civil War grudges now, huh? Oh. Uh. Uh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, my yep. next pick, let's just make a segue here, is also uh, based on a true story. Uh, but it, it's not about the Civil War. It's about a civil action. I don't know if you're familiar with this. So in the civil town, action? a civil action. Yeah. Uh, in the town of Woburn, Massachusetts, or as they say, Woburn, Woburn, uh, Woburn, uh, during the 1980s, a number of residents of the area were being stricken with cancer, leukemia, and other illnesses at a greater rate than what was considered normal. Uh, Oof. Yeah, it was, uh, it's what's called a, a cancer cluster. Uh, and it's uh, the what it is is it's basically an uh, an unusually high group of incidents of cancer. Now the blame for this cancer cluster fell on a local tannery, which is a place that treats the skins of animals to make leather. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. This particular tannery was owned through a long ladder of subsidiaries by mega corporation Beatrice Foods. For justice, this is a good case. 12 deaths over 15 years. They think it has to do with the city's drinking water. One lawyer will discover. Somewhere out here, somebody had to have seen what happened. The only thing more dangerous than burying the truth. There's a lot of people in my neighborhood that are dead from something. Is uncovering it. You go back out there and you catch them in a lie. We're three lawyers. They're 300. We can't afford a long drawn out trial. Mortgage my house. I have. From the number one electrifying bestseller. If you're gonna knock a guy down, do it so he can't get up. What I wanted was an apology for what they did to my son. It's war. 
John Travolta, Robert Duvall, John Lithgow, William H. Macy, and Kathleen Quinlan. And this isn't about money anymore. What's it about, Jan? It's about this. A civil action. Now, the townspeople of Wubin sued the company for dumping chemicals, including an industrial solvent called trichloroethylene, into the groundwater. Now, trichloroethylene is a known carcinogen. Uh-huh. Yeah, the film follows the court case against the company and focuses on attorney Jan Schlickman, who was played by John Travolta, and the lawyers that work for him. Now, initially, Jan refuses to take the case, but he changes his mind when he sees the potential in the publicity that taking the case would bring his small law firm. Now, while investigating the company and the impact the illnesses have on the community, he gets invested personally, uh, and it begins to become an obsession with him. Now, it's going to ruin his firm if he loses, which is a distinct possibility given the army of lawyers the defendant brings to the case. So this is basically a David and Goliath story. Now, I will tell you, I am a sucker for a good legal drama. Uh, You know, in fact... I actually once uh, entertained the idea of becoming a lawyer, but then someone told me I had to go to law school, and that pretty much ended that. Um, Wow. Yeah, I know. But there is something really riveting about watching smart people playing this kind of legal chess match when there's so much at stake. And because a civil action is a true story, a happy ending is in no way guaranteed here. So I'm not going to spoil it for you in case you want to see it, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of it's got its dark side uh, because of you know what's going on with the townspeople and how desperate they are for help. Uh, but it's a great movie. And there's a lot of talent here too. Uh, the cast is spectacular, and aside from Travolta, who's really good in this, uh, Robert Duvall, John Lithgow, James Gandolfini, Tony Shalhoub, they're they're all in this, and they're all fantastic. Uh, the movie itself was written and directed by a guy named Steven Zalian. And if that name, once again, doesn't ring a bell, some of his other screenplays might. Uh, Gangs of New York, Moneyball, The Irishman, Schindler's List. So, yeah. And so this was, I think, the first film he actually directed. Uh, it's really, really good. It's well made, well acted. It, you know, I know that some people are like legal drama, yawn. It's, you know, but no, this will keep your attention focused on the story of this community that is literally fighting for its life against an impossibly powerful adversary. Uh, and it's also, you know, a good movie to remind us why we have Earth Day. Uh, you know, and so it's a, it's even though Earth Day has passed, it's still a good kind of a reminder why we need that and why we need regulations uh, when it comes to these corporations that can, you know, literally, you know, cost people their lives if they're careless or just, you know, you know ignorant. Um, so that's my second pick, a civil action, and it gets a 6.6 out of 10 on the Internet Movie Database and 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but it's available on all the usual suspects, iTunes, uh, Amazon Prime, all those. It's really, really good. I highly recommend you check out a civil action. Um, it's not the most uplifting film you'll ever see, but uh, it's really, really well made. Nice. And once again, four out of five lobster rolls. Thank you. (laughs) Is it, you think it was a precursor to, uh, wait, when did it come out? 1998. Okay, so it's post-Silkwood then. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Is it post-Aaron Brockovich? Uh, Yeah, Uh, I think it might be. No, I think. Maybe. I think it actually came out before, yeah. Um, but I love those films where, like, it, it, it's the it's the young person or like the the single person fighting up against this corporation. Like, remember in Silkwood, but I thought that she was really going to kill her. Or mm-hmm. spoiler, but you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, good choice. Yeah, good what I what I like about it was this: the the lawyer, John Travolta's lawyer. He's not in this in the beginning for altruistic reasons. He thinks this is going to help uh, build his law firm by by being a very public case, and you know. Uh, by by building his reputation, and mm-hmm. it, you know, but then he gets personally invested, and uh, and I'm not giving anything away to say that um, Jan Schlickman went on to become a, a, a well regarded environmental lawyer. So, right, but yeah, it's, it's a really huh. really good one. Very cool. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I've got a couple of uh, honorable mentions that I think that folks should take a look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, first one would be the Miracle Worker, 1962 film. Oh, uh, yeah. Stars Anne Bancroft. Uh, I, I personally watched that film when I was much younger. I didn't understand what was going on, and it frightened the heck out uh, of me. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, but it, it's definitely a it's a good one to watch. Um, then I might say take a look at the firm if you're at all interested in that. Um, and then Little Women, and I love the fact that Little Women has uh, been sustained throughout all these years. But of course, Louisa May Alcott, who wrote it, lived in Concord, Massachusetts. I think she's buried somewhere in there. Um, actually, she is. She's in the writer's corner of the Lexington Cemetery. Uh, and I love Little Women. It's I love the Winona Winona Roder. Oh, sorry. Winona Ryder mm. version. God, it's, a, it's been a long week. It's like Tuesday. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I love that one. I, I just absolutely love that movie. Nice. Those are my my uh, honorable mentions. Uh, for me, I'd have to go with Goodwill Hunting. Ooh, uh, which is yes. a, a, a fantastic movie, which I think most people have seen, but it's well worth checking out again. Uh, if not for just remembering just how great Robin Williams was. Uh, yeah, amazing. Amazing actor. Uh, you know, you've got the um, probably the, the most prestigious of the bunch, the two Ted movies. Uh, oh, jeez. I can't even get through the first one. Uh, <laughs> oh. um, yeah. And finally, uh, you know, another another actually legal drama, which is called The Paper Chase, which is a 70s movie uh, about uh, law students and going through law school uh, with an especially ah. uh, strict uh, law professor. So, uh, and how some of them like can't handle the pressure and, and all that. So the paper chase is another good one that's available. Uh, but yeah, so those, those are some of my, uh, my honorable mentions, your honor. You can't also forget Lake Placid. Oh, Lake Placid. Isn't that New York? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, we'll, but, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, give it a pass. We'll give it a pass. That's we'll fine. give it a pass. Yeah. All right. But. Not a not a bad episode, huh? No, no, I uh, uh, I think it uh, was uh, quite good. Yeah, you know, uh, and I'm glad nobody <laughs> did any uh, JFK movies. So, oh are. yeah, I thought about it, but I just I just can't. It's too muddy. Yeah, it really is. It really is, and it, that's a rabbit hole you don't want to get sucked into. <laughs> All right, so I think I think that's going to uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Um, now. Next dive, we're going to do a uh, another microcast, and May first is May Day, of course, which is a celebration of spring's arrival. But, but what you may not know, it is also Free Comic Book Day. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Where your friendly neighborhood comic book purveyor gives out special comics produced just for that day. Now, there was a time long ago when comic books were nearly banned forever. On the next Deep Dive Microcast, we'll dive into the case against comic books. So look out for that. I think that'll be fun. It's a good little history Jeez. lesson. History lesson. <laughs> Can you imagine not having uh, not having comic books? That just seems like a world that I don't want to live in. Yeah. Can you imagine there'd be no uh, MCU? There'd be no DC? Well, that's fine. But uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. sorry I, I sat through. I sat through the Snyder cut. I mean, you know, I did. So I've done my due diligence. Yeah, I did. I, I think it was like forty-five minutes into it, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm over this." Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, so, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but we should also mention too that we'll have a uh, small break coming up. Yeah, we're going to have a little bit of a, a little bit of another uh, another gap. Um, we'll have uh, there'll be a couple of short, uh, little brief episodes. Um, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of microcasts, maybe a, a one of those little deep dive mysteries, which I I kind of enjoy. Um, so we'll yes. see if we can work one of those in there as well. Might be fun. Yeah. And then we'll we'll ramp up and get ready for our giant summer episodes. Oh, I can't. Which if wait. you. If you are not familiar or if you're just tuning in for you know, the first time, you can catch all of our previous summer blockbuster episodes mm-hmm. on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.com, where we host all of our old episodes, yes. minus the first one, because we don't talk about that. Shh, no, we don't talk about that. <laughs> we also have a merch store. If you want to go ahead and fashion yourself with a lovely piece of 
well, t-shirt material, uh, and look super cool while doing it. And they're not expensive. They feel okay. You know, you can at least use them once or twice and then wash your car off. Summer's coming up. Yeah, and you know? guaranteed to cover your naughty bits. Okay. Um, Yeah, yeah. Or you can email us too. Our website uh, has all of our links to our social medias and our email. If you ever want to send in some suggestions, or if you just want to give us general feedback, we love, we love, love, love all the feedback. Just only the nice stuff. Um, Exactly. But (laughs) the best way to help us out truly is to rate us on Apple iTunes Mm -hmm. because the more ratings we get, the more people we can we can give our gift to. And don't you want to share this gift with the world? Mm, The gift of us. Yes. The gift that keeps on giving something. I don't know what, <laughs> but you better get uh, some antibiotics. <laughs> so oh, uh, now before we, uh, before we wrap things up, um, there's a final thing I want to talk about. Um, and it's on a serious note. Uh, every episode, I reference uh, a little publication that I contribute to called Wings Chop. It's, uh, it's a really great magazine about all kinds of movie-related weirdness. Uh, the co-owner and publisher is a longtime friend of mine. His name is Tony Strauss. Uh, right now, Tony is battling a rare type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, on the Deep Dive podcast website, I will be posting a link to a GoFundMe page to help with Tony's medical expenses. Uh, I've known Tony for 30 years. He's a wonderful guy, and I just wanted to to put that out there just so, mm-hmm. you know, just for because, you know, uh, I just because I wanted to do something like that for him. Absolutely. Uh, so, no. so if you can give, give. If you can't, share it for us. Share our website. It would really help us out. Exactly. Also, check out Wang's Chop because they have a lot of funny stuff in there. Yes, and we're actually uh, actually uh, just about uh, hitting our deadline for submission. So hopefully that means that we're going to be having another issue out soon. Woohoo! I know, right? All right. So that'll do it for us, for Manda and myself, Tom Feeney. Please stay safe. Be good. Remember... Swallowing sunflower seeds will not make sunflowers grow in your stomach, I think. Okay, not sure about that. So as far as we know. As far as we know. (laughs) All right, we will see you next time. All clips used in the Deep Dive podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive theme was composed and performed by Ryan Blaney and produced by EchoCraft. The Deep Dive Podcast is a production of Automaton Studios. Say it loud enough so everyone can hear. Come on, say it. Shout out. Ha ha ha! Ha ha ha! Shout out!